Shorts, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries, a Duct Tape Than Beer production, with additional support from New Belgium Brewing, Kuat Racks, and Patagonia. I showed up 30 minutes late for my first deep sea sailing trip, on an empty stomach, with not a drop of water to ease my hangover. I brought a pair of sunglasses I'd snatched off my bureau, hoping they'd hide the evidence of my drinking from Tony and his professor. Tony stopped pacing the deck when he spotted me. The gray goateed Gary nodded and smiled as I shouted my apology toward the dock. We need to get an early start because there could be weather coming in later, Gary declared, and untied the rope that tethered us to the land. We glanced at the sky like wizened fishermen. The gorgeous blue shot through my eyeball like a knife. Tony gave me a hug and whispered in my ear, You are dead. I cringed and hugged him back. It was like hugging an inverted broomstick. We were an odd pair. He was a gangly six feet tall with bristly hair over coke bottle glasses and a proud Roman nose. I sported a bleach blonde mohawk and wore enough eyeliner to make the pharaohs proud. He'd arranged this sailing trip with his mentor, a physics professor and avid sailor, because he thought my social graces would help his chance at a student job in the department. We'd become friends junior year in band class when I defended his woodwind companions from my rowdy fellow percussionists. He was the first guy to invite a girl to the Dungeons and Dragons lunch table at Egg Harbor High School. I ended up dating the dungeon master, not Tony. Still, he hovered like a protective grandfather and swatted the rogues and wizards away and stayed with me through my transformation to punk girl as if it were a natural bump up in my armor class. So even in the depths of a hangover, I'd show up when he called. The night before our sale, my friends and I had been moshing at a hardcore show until 4 a.m. I was deposited on a couch around 5. It seemed like seconds later when the phone rang and to my surprise and reluctance, I was called to the sea. I had to go. We sank into the soothing rhythm of the water and sun. While I longed for a nice cold soda and thought about inquiring for an aspirin, Gary made it clear that he intended to teach us some sailing skills. The sailboat was 16 feet long with a crawlspace cabin and two yellow and white striped sails. Gary lifted his seat and showed us where he kept the flares, tools, and life jackets. He helped us haul up the mainsail. Then he taught us to mind the boom while he sat aft in the boat manning the rudder. We hauled lines and ducked as the boom flew towards us and the boat shifted aggressively, the sail billowing from our efforts. It was glorious. I threw myself into the experience, soaking up every detail with the earnestness of a landlubber. I loved the noise the sail made as it flapped and caught air. My heart raced when Gary yelled, tack or jibe, sometimes adding salty curses for good measure. The hangover turned to a dull ache behind my brow. Tony looked happy, smiling and clowning around, comparing our biceps after maneuvers. Once or twice I pushed his head down before the boom took it off. Physical things could trip him up sometimes, so I gave him hints when the captain's head was turned. In spite of living a quarter of a mile from the marshes, Tony had never been on a boat before. He avoided water. Even my efforts to get him to go swimming had been useless. 
I assumed he was embarrassed about wearing a bathing suit since he was self-conscious about being so skinny. When we were five miles out and could no longer see land, we rested. Tony retrieved the bologna sandwiches and we dug into them, hungry from the unfamiliar workout. As we bobbed around, talk turned to our college and our plans. Tony was majoring in physics and minoring in computer science. I had just declared a major in political science, but I really had no clue what I wanted to be. Talking about it with such driven men made me feel rudderless, and I steered the subject back to physics to distract them. The warmth and breeze lulled me into a post-lunch doze when Gary announced it was time to turn back. He pointed to the horizon. We turned our lazy gaze to the east, but saw only an unimpressive distant line of clouds. But the captain said we needed to hightail it in, so we shrugged and got back to work. The storm came on quickly after that. The swells turned to a relentless hills that sucked us down into the valleys, then spewed us up back to the top of the peaks. At the top, we could catch a glimpse of the horizon until it got too dark to see. We braced our feet on the starboard side and leaned back to reduce the chances of getting clocked by the rampant boom. Tony turned his pale face helplessly towards me. I could see he would puke soon, but he patted my knee to console me before he leaned in and whisper shouted, I have to tell you now, I guess. I can't swim. Don't say anything. I studied Gary's face between swells looking for hope, but it was stony. Soon he pulled life jackets from under his seat and tossed them to us. Then he reefed the mainsail, rolling part of it up, and headed us into the wind so we would have less chance of capsizing. The mast was nearly parallel to the water. I stared in terror at the ocean beneath my feet, and my fury at Captain Gary was magnified by my dependence on him. Still, I knew that trusting his skills and following his orders was our only chance for survival, so I ignored the tiny waves of doubt and panic that shot through my adrenal glands, and I responded as quickly to his commands as possible. Tony continued to sink deeper into a swoon. His torso appeared to be lurching with the winds. Gary, I shouted, Tony isn't doing too well. Gary looked at Tony and I as if seeing us for the first time and nodded. I knew then it was my job. Hey, Tony, maybe you need to throw up, you know? It might make you feel better, I shouted as motherly as I could over the din. I pointed to the leeward side where he could turn his head and neatly dispose of his lunch. Lightning cracked as Tony retched on my feet, ocean water slamming into the deck. I stared at my feet and the maul of the ocean trying to swallow us. This, I marveled. This was a fucking adventure. An epiphany can manifest itself like a creature, one that leaps from the ocean like a whale in slow motion, unleashing the full force of his fury by slapping you with his massive tail. My will clamped down then and I tossed out fear. I felt wide awake and ready. I found one tendril of calm within me and wrapped my spirit around it like my arms wrapped around the mainsail rigging. This was going to be an awesome story someday. This was downright fun if you took the possibility of personal tragedy out of the picture. This was one of those rare moments in life where you must act or die, and so everything was very simple, although the outcome remained unclear. 
If I lived, I knew that I could manage what followed. It was like a dare and a promise. Tony slumped unconsciously just as I found my courage. I let go of the rope and grabbed him under the armpits, causing the boom to whip toward us. Lightning struck again, and it lit the black sky up so bright that I winced. I ducked and crouched with Tony in the perpendicular deck of the boat, slipping in his vomit as gravity sucked us towards the waves. The hull of the boat neared its tipping point, hovering on the edge. Gary leapt a short distance towards me and smacked Tony on the face while grabbing us crab-like with his legs. He ordered Tony below deck. Tony's eyes fluttered open and he spun like a zombie towards the small cabin door. I pried it open for him just as the boat rocked back into the cradle of the wave. When I saw the inside, I felt sorry for him. I would rather be tossed into the ocean than crawl in that tiny space to be hurled around in the dark. But Tony crawled in gratefully, faced first, and passed out. It seemed like we had been struggling for days when it might have been an hour. I stared dully at the ugliness of the squall, intent only on carrying out Gary's commands. Eventually we saw land and Gary assured me that we would make it back. As we approached the shore, the thunder and lightning increased, but the swells lessened and our mast became more upright. Tony roused himself from the cabin and apologized repeatedly for puking on Gary's boat. Gary shrugged. Even normal waves could make a person seasick, he explained and this was beyond normal. I admitted that I had had the spins just six hours ago. Somehow dodging death with them allowed me to fess up to my indiscretions from the night before. As we pulled into the shore, Tony kissed the dock for show. Captain Gary gruffly instructed him to swab the deck. I didn't know it at the time, but 28 years later, I see that morning as a turning point in my life. Discovering that I could tap into survival mode in that boat gave me a kernel of confidence that bloomed over the years. It made me want to test my mettle often, to remind myself what was possible. Over time, this played itself out in healthier ways. Instead of drinking excessive amounts of alcohol, I traveled to foreign lands. Rather than experiment with drugs, I skied and canoed. Instead of smoking, I took up kayaking and whitewater rafting. Many of these things made my throat tighten with fear just before I dove into them, yet each time I walked away exhilarated. That tiny sailboat was the vehicle that tossed me from the shoreline into the current of my own life, and although I haven't sailed since, I can't help but look at all boats as a symbol of that freedom and adventure. I'm Kim Campbell, and this is my short. Thank you, Kim, for sharing your adventure. Nowadays, Kim is a writer, a fitness geek, a circus and theater critic, an outdoorsy type, and a friend to nerd culture. You can find more of her writing at blog.com kimzin, that's K-I-M-Z-Y-N.com. Music today by The Broke Free, The Cassettes, Chihuahua, Harmonic Lewinsky, and The Naxalites. We get our tracks from Mevio's Music Alley and Free Music Archive, and from our friend Amy Stolzenbach. You can find links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. 
Do you have a story that will keep us up at night? Type it up. 500 to 1,000 words. We want your scary stories. And email it to editor at ducttapethenbeer.com. Once again, we want your scary stories. We'll review submissions for this year's Tale of Terrors the first week of October. Support comes from the good people of Patagonia. For decades, First Nations, conservationists, backcountry skiers, and snowboarders have fought a proposed large-scale ski resort deep in the Purcell Mountains of British Columbia, a place very, very wild. After 24 years of opposition, what more will it take to keep Jumbo Mountain wild for good? Visit Patagonia.com to watch the trailer for Jumbo Wild and to learn more about the fight and how to get involved. Additional support comes from New Belgium Brewing, back for another fall with their Pump Kick Ale, a traditionally spiced seasonal ale with an unexpected kick of cranberry. Visit NewBelgium.com to find a store or tap near you. And support comes from Kuat Racks, designers of lightweight, stylish, and easy-to-use products that help cyclists and adventurers get out and do more. Check out their lineup at kuatracks.com. This episode of The Diaries was produced by Jen Alchel and Becca Call. I'm Fitz Call, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Oh,